Hey there, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, my name is Mike Bankhead. I'm a bass player and songwriter from the Jam City, Dayton, Ohio. My guest today is a very interesting person from the eastern part of the United States. I'll let her tell you exactly where in the conversation, but her name is Renata Leo. Leo, like Latin for lion, that kind of Leo. I really enjoyed uh, this conversation, despite the curly fry portion of it, and I think you will as well. Uh, Let's go. Hey there, Renata. Hey, Mike. That rhymes with fermata and stigmata. Ricotta. Ricotta. Um, one of back when I worked for my old company, one of our customers called me rum chata. Delicious. <laughs> what can I say? Where are you? <laughs> I'm in my room. Um, so I'm in Southern New Jersey. Okay. I'm in Southwestern Ohio. Ew. What's Southern New Jersey like? Uh, Right now, still a little humid, um, but it's nice. It's it, so it's a it, uh, technically a Philly suburb, right? Um, so it's kind of nice. It's nice that there's a decent amount to do and a lot of like local shops to go to. It's it's kind of a little bit of everything, and I don't like driving over bridges, so it's great. Like I have everything right here. If you don't like driving over bridges, that means you never go to Philadelphia. Uh, I don't drive to Philadelphia. Oh, I I just went there for the first time in June and loved it and. Can't wait to go back. I thought it was a cool city. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. What, what other cities have you seen around the country that you liked? That I liked. See, you qualified that. I did. New York's nice to visit. I got family there. I would never live there, though. Yeah. Chicago's wonderful. I went to Miami once. The Cuban food's great. Baseball game was good. I like Atlanta. Love San Diego. Too expensive. Would you move out to the West Coast if you could? I'm afraid of earthquakes okay. so, and fire, so no. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I have family out there, too. Seattle's nice. I, You know what? I was thinking I haven't been to many cities. Now that I'm talking about the cities I've been to, I've been to a bunch of cities. Milwaukee was fun. Pittsburgh is gorgeous. Obviously, all the cities in our state are wonderful. <laughs> sure. How about you? Um, so, well, actually, what I was going to say was this uh, This is kind of interesting. So I have been to Chicago and I've been not to San Diego, but I've been to San Francisco and both Chicago and San Francisco were surprise trips. Have you ever been to or heard of like those surprise vacations? No. How does that happen? So you give them a budget, you tell them how long you want to go for, um, and you tell them your interests and then they build a vacation for you and they don't tell you where you're going. They like send you a packet that says where you're going. And like the week before you leave, they give you the weather, but you open the envelope that says where you're going when you get to the airport. That sounds awful. As someone who is anxious because, you know, it's a thing that people are anxious and I take medication for that. (laughs) I meticulously plan every trip I take to the nth detail so much so that I think it bugs my wife. So that, I don't think I could function under those circumstances. See, I don't want to plan anything. I that, I was actually just on the phone with a friend from college the other day. And she was like, I love planning vacations. And I was like, I hate planning vacations. She was like, we should go on vacation sometime. I'm like, sure, you do everything and I will hand you my wallet. <laughs> I'm like, that's all. That's all I want to do. Well, then you should travel with me because I don't have a problem doing that. But like, I don't see how that works. Cause, so they tell you. First of all, how do you prepare for Chicago weather? It's either going to be four feet of snow or hot. So they tell you. They tell you what the weather's like. And I mean, you know what the dates are that you're going. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like it's but, not like they call you on a random Tuesday at four in the morning, like get to the airport right now. One's activities of choice, I would think, are not the same. I now I've been to those two cities. Uh yeah, I, I don't think I would have the same kind of itent that I wouldn't want to do the same things in those cities. That's really well, I guess it must be a viable business because, you know, mm-hmm. people are using them. Yeah. The, and there are a few different companies doing it. But I mean, you put in all of your all of your um, interests and stuff. And like 
some of it is planned for you, but some, but you know, some of it is just like recommendations like, Oh, here are other good places to eat. Or, you know, if you're looking for X, Y, Z cultural thing here, here are some options. What did you tell them that your interests were? See, now I'm fascinated. Probably brunch. For talking about basic stuff, probably brunch. Um, brunch is delicious. I, as long as it wasn't pretty, I, I'm down for a lot of stuff. As long as it's not like camping. As long as it's not camping, I'm pretty much down for, you know, I like museums. I like, you know, we went in uh, Chicago. They got us tickets to a show at Second City. That was great. They got us tickets to Alcatraz when we went to San Francisco. That was great. I, you know, I'm down to eat. Mostly I'm down to eat and do whatever that that's the, so hence the, I don't like to plan vacations. Cause I feel like if I plan it, I'm going to miss some really cool stuff. Whereas like, if I kind of go with the flow, then I'll find the cool stuff. I can understand that. I feel that if I don't plan it, I'll be too busy trying to figure out what to do that I'll miss the cool stuff. But if I, have designated times for the cool stuff, I know that I'll get to the cool stuff that I want to get to and won't stumble upon something that I thought might be cool that isn't. That, so that's fair. That's totally fair. I also, to be fair, I also find the not cool stuff like just an adventure, like something to laugh about with my friends later. You're a lot more easygoing than I am. In some ways. <laughs> In some ways, probably. But I, I so I also have anxiety. Um, so... It's just probably just around different things, I'm guessing. You spend time living not in the United States, and that is uh, fascinating to me because I'm jealous and would like to do the same. Um, I would like you to tell me about the time that you spent not living in the United States. Sure, absolutely. So, And I also think, so I don't know, there are a bunch of different ways I can talk about this, but I always say like college was the time I felt most myself, and it was really the start probably can't say the start, but the start of me really living as a generalist, um, which is what I am now. I'm like, I'm super thrilled to do it now, um, where I literally took, I mean, I took so many more classes than I needed to take. I pledged to sorority. I studied abroad twice, which is what you're referring to. Um, and I went to, and I worked a bunch of different jobs at the same time. And like, literally it was like out of the apartment at 6 a.m., back in bed at 9 p.m. and just like crashing because I literally just did stuff the entire day. Um, and that was that was awesome for me. But I so I was one of my majors was French. So I knew I was going to study abroad for a semester in France. Our program was in Toulouse. Um, but I also they had a, a Spain program that was only for like a month in the summer. And I was like, oh, that would be fun. And it wouldn't set me back on like my French and neuroscience classes, which were my majors. I was like, if I just go in the summer, like I could learn more Spanish, I could explore Spain, but I wouldn't need, you know, I, I wouldn't need to set myself back on all the classes I needed to take. So I was like, you know, it's screwed. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to go there in the summer. And then, you know, the following spring, go to, go to France. Um, really? I, so, I mean, the apartment that my host, so I stayed with host families. And the apartment that my host family in Spain had, host family, she was a she was a young woman, was, God, it was just like all windows. Like, it was just so bright. Everything was so bright. I was like, I could straight up just stay here. I was like, I could just, I if you want to move out, I could just live here. And all of us, I think everyone in the program, like, you know, it was in Malaga, Spain. So it was a beach town. So no one's apartments were all that far from the beach. We, you know, you literally walked two blocks up and you're on the beach. And it was awesome. Like it was just wonderful to be able to go there and then go home easily. Like I don't, the main reasons I don't love the beach because I don't like being sandy and I don't like having to like not knowing where I can pee. Those are like my two issues. Dude, I feel exactly the same. Right. Right. Also um, sharks, but I stay out of the water. That's that's fair. Usually I'll I'll just walk along the edge so like my feet and maybe like ankles up to my knees will get like wet, but I won't go actually like in the ocean for the most part. Um so Spain was really really spectacular for that. Um and it's actually that's where I fell in love with translation, so I have like a lot of a lot of love in my heart for Malaga. Um and then I uh, I actually went back there when I when I stayed in France, I actually did go back to Malaga for a few days and stayed with my host again and had lost so much of my Spanish. It was so bad. Um, but the uh, in the spring, I went to Toulouse and 
I mean, so talk about anxiety, probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm very, I'm very much a homebody that's like attached to my home and my family and my friends and going there. I was terrified. Um, and I mean, you know, you make friends, you make friends wherever you are. Right. So like, I, I definitely made friends that I could hang out with, but I was like, Oh my God, like I've taken myself completely out of my like support system. What am I doing? Like I panicked a decent amount of the time there, but it was great. And I mean, a huge you know, growing opportunity, removing yourself from, from everything, you know, is terrifying, but also really, really great for growth, for personal growth. How long were you in Toulouse? Uh, just a semester, just the spring semester. So, uh, it was, uh, January to May. Oh, I'll bet that was pleasant. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was really nice. Yeah. It was decently warm. I had to have my winter jacket for the first month maybe. And then after that, it was, it was pretty chill. I think I've been there three times, four times, but yeah, nice city. The The folks there seem to be a little laid back, a little more laid back than, say, Parisians. Right. Yeah. Well, know, that yeah, makes the, sense. We're, we're more laid back than New Yorkers, so that makes sense. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, honestly, that's how I felt. We had one of our excursions was in Paris. And I mean, besides going to Paris, you know, Disneyland, because I was not going to not go to Disneyland. I am like, okay, it's a city. It's there are too many people. Everything is gross. I'm like, there was no point. <laughs> I'm like, why? Put me back in Toulouse. Give me a Belgian waffle and I'll be I'll be all set. Paris, much closer to Belgium. It is my favorite city in the world. But uh, yeah, it is a city. You are not wrong about that. Yeah. Cities are not my thing. That's what when you were like, New York is nice. I'm like, you're wrong. Nice so, to visit. Great food. It's been a. How long has it been since I've been in New York? It's been a while. It's been a while since I've been there. Um, I don't know. I we have good food around here. I know, yeah, Southern New Jersey, obviously the uh, you know, definitely the paradise of delicious foods. But I, we have good enough food here. I'm I'm pretty happy. Are you Italian? Uh, Italian American, yeah. All right, I was judging by your family name, so <laughs> yeah. What does one do with a minor in French these days? You mentioned translation. Are you still doing that? Actually, I did just get a contract to do some translation. Um, so yeah, so occasionally I will. I translation is really, really something special to me. I I remember when I first did it in Spain. Um, a few things hit me. Number one, that you needed to be a writer. Like you, you couldn't you you can't translate without localizing. You can't just translate word for word because then it comes out nonsensical, um, or just not you know, just not something that is palatable. So I was like, okay. And there was one moment we were sitting there and what did someone said, Oh, this provides like this ocean provides water to another, a a lake or something. And I'm staring at it. I'm like, that's not right. I'm like, I don't know why my brain is, is trying to grasp what's wrong with the language, but it's just not right. And I turned the English major next to me. I'm like, what's wrong with that sentence? She was like, nothing's wrong with that sentence. And then we went to the next slide. I'm like, that's not the preposition that follows provide. Like, that's why I hate. And, I, and in that moment, I was like, this is amazing. I was like, I love this. This is so, it's so challenging, but it's something I'm good at. So like, that's, it's got that balance of like being not easy at all, but being something that I know I can tackle. Um, so it's really, it's really special to me. So sometimes I'll do, translation contracts i've tried to be careful because i mean it has it's been a while since i practiced french um unfortunately but is that your way of saying that you don't want me to speak to you in french on this podcast no no it's a terrible idea i wouldn't do it t'es sûr <laughs> t'es absolument certain because <laughs> uh, i was going to throw a little test translation thing at you um I know this is my podcast. I really did not plan to talk about me, but I have been doing adaptation for TV. So oh. I'll get a French TV show and have to adapt it for their future English voiceover readers, uh, mostly because making rock and roll doesn't pay the bills. And that right. does. That's and fair. I agree with you. You can't just say stuff word for word because it. Ça marche pas. No. No, I uh, I had a friend who's very she so she went to French immersion school as a young person, but she like grew up in D.C. And she translated. Some, and I was like, hey, I'm I'm stumbling on or no, I don't think I was. I just wanted her to prove something like one or two sentences. 
And she came back to me and she was like, she was like, oh no, this, this word should be this word. And she was giving me the literal word. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, the literal word doesn't fit there. Technically you're right, but I don't, that's not what we want here. That's whoever reads that is going to stumble on it and be like, oh, why, why is that word there? That doesn't make any sense. Context Um, is everything. mm -hmm, It really is. And so that's what I like about translation is you need to be good at foreign language, but you, you need to be a writer. And I, I love that. So let's uh, let's get the listeners, since they're probably bored, since we're two nerds nerding out our element, let's give them an example. Let's say that you and I are children. This is from a real situation I recently had to deal with. Let's say that you are and I are children, and we're going to race the pool. Okay. And I say to you, Dernier, dernier dans la piscine, c'est un, uh, c'est un poulet mouillé. Or un pool, un pool mouillé. La dernière personne dans la piscine est une poule mouillée. How would you say that in English? Girl, you think I remember? <laughs> Last one in the pool is a wet chicken. Exactly. Idioms. Idioms are what it's about. Idioms are, they, they make everything. Idioms are hard and um, prepositions are impossible because prepositions don't have rules. They're all ear. You know what I mean? I uh, Back at my old job, my manager was from Panama and so sometimes he would write something and he I mean he was very very amenable to like me telling him different aspects of language because you know he's he knew English very very well but sometimes he would slip up on things like preposition like oh technically that's not the preposition that goes there and he would be like prepositions just suck and I'm like yeah no you're totally right they're nonsensical there's no like rule that you can follow like oh this one goes with words that end in ER or something like that. Like, it's like, now nah, we just put by here sometimes, you know, we put two over there, whatever. And like, you know, you never know. Or like, if I type something in Spanish, he would be like, mm, it's not the right preposition. I'm like, mm, yep. Can almost guarantee I was going to get that wrong. <laughs> I find that some foreign language prepositions are represented by multiple English prepositions, again, depending on context. And, that is something that always trips me up as well. It's it's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. I mean, I, I dig it that the the problem with prepositions is that like it's not it's almost memorization, right? So especially because you know you're since you don't have the attuned ear to hear what's right and what's wrong, like we do in English, it's all memorization. It's like, oh, that's right. This one goes with this. Like I um I took a linguistics class while I was in. France. That was one of my courses I took at the university. And they talked about how we start learning language and like cadence in the womb. And it's like, so, you know, whatever your mother is speaking or whatever people around her are speaking are what you're really picking up. And with prepositions, that's what it is. It's all ear, it's all cadence. So it's like, wow. So coming out of the womb, I'm already behind on any other language I haven't heard. That's true. They, uh, there's been studies that say they can tell what language babies are around just from their way they cry before they are able even to form words. That's, that's because of the rhythm of the crying. So this is definitely, I was telling someone the other day, that is definitely um, something that I would have looked into. I, so as a neuroscience major, I, uh, I was surrounded by people who were like, Oh yeah, I want to study cancer. I want to study this. I want to study that. And I'm like, I want to find out if, the the ambient ambient music in the hospital waiting room changes you know the experience for the people in the waiting room like i like nonsensical like unnecessary studies that's what i want to do like i want to do weird studies that no one funds so yeah i just didn't go with neuroscience when i graduated that sounds fascinating i can't stand hospital waiting room music and would like it to be better not like should... I'm in hospitals often, right? But <laughs> should write them a letter. I would join any study you were you were going to put together that was about uh, waiting room music in in various locations. So that technically wasn't one that I was putting. I do have a list of ones that I that I would like to put together. But this was for for our senior seminar. We had to present a paper, and uh, and you know one that we found on the internet. But literally everyone else, it was it was like BPA and carcinogens and like very important hard-hitting scientific stuff and i'm like no i'm like i'm good on it i'm I'm all set let's talk about waiting room music 
it's about quality of life, really. So, a semester abroad in Toulouse, the mm-hmm. beautiful uh, pink city. Yep. Time in Malaga, which is a place I've not yet been. And you're writing a book. This is when you get to talk about your book. Okay. So, sounds like a plan. Is there anything in particular you wanted to hear about? When is it done? Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> so right now, uh, my editor and I are working with the freelancer who's doing the interior, like the design of the interior. We have the cover done. Um, so now it's just getting the interior all done. I mean, all the editing is done. The copy is ready. Well, that, um, that was that's what I was asking. Yeah. I didn't realize there was so much work that went into the book. I figured you just wrote it and then... I so I mean it depends on on how how picky you want to be I guess I you know I when when I told my parents I was like oh I'm hiring someone to do the cover they were like why you know what I mean why do you need something that complicated and to be fair you know I I probably didn't I probably could have easily me or my editor could have photoshopped something simple um but it just wasn't what I wanted to do I wanted to I wanted to spend a lot of money that I'm not going to recoup with book sales in order to have a quality product built by a professional i get it yep what's the title of the book unapologetic oversharing self-awareness and buffalo sauce well buffalo sauce is the name of your blog so that kind of makes sense it it does have there is a little thing under that that says you know a buffalo sauce everywhere book since buffalo sauce everywhere is my blog yeah unapologetic oversharing well that (laughs) sounds um autobiographical it's so it is it I say it straddles the line between memoir and self-help, I think, because I uh, I kept calling it self-help and several. Well, at least one of my beta readers that I can remember came back and went, this is I don't know. I don't know. You can't even call this a self-help book. This is a memoir book. And I'm like, OK, that's fine. I'm like, I think it I think it covers both because I don't know. I also read a lot of self-help books that have a lot of anecdotes in them. So I'm like, I mean, it is a majority anecdote. So maybe that's part of it. But the approach. For me, I mean, so self-help, I feel like many, I won't say all, because I haven't read all self-help books, many say, here's the approach you need to take. Here's the approach every reader that's going to read this needs to take to do X, Y, or Z thing. And essentially what I say is, here's the approach that I took. And I understand that it's not universal. And here are some reasons why it might not apply to you. But if you can take these things and apply them to you, maybe they'll help. Maybe they won't. I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I don't know each person's individual life and their individual circumstances. And I'm not going to pretend I do. So it's, it leans more memoir because I don't want it to come off as me having all the answers. I want it to come off as these are the answers that worked for me. Maybe they'll work for you. And I think that would be pretty cool. Are you going to do one of those uh, book signing tours where you go read it in bookstores across the country and such? Uh, I do have a couple local shops that I'm going to, that I'm going to do stuff with, which is really exciting. Um, I, so I still live with my parents, my fiance, and I live with my parents. So one of them is literally in the town where I went to high school. So I'll, I'll get to go there and do some signings and I don't know about readings. I I'll talk to her about what she wants to do, but you know, any, any small local stores that want to do stuff with me, I'm, I'm very down to do it. That's pretty cool. Once it's officially out, we'll have to have you. I'll have to have you back because you, you seem, you know, you're the kind of person that's not going to run out of stuff to say. So you're not. I don't, mean, I don't mean that in a bad way, by the way. It's it's okay. Even if you did, I would just be like, no, that's a fact. It's it's fine. If it's a fact, it doesn't matter, right? One would think. So there there are two questions I ask everyone, and I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask everyone. Not that you're not special, because you are. But uh, the the first of these questions is, think back to your childhood, mm-hmm. even in the womb, if you happen to have that stored away somewhere, what's the first song that you can remember hearing in your life? That, that's such a good question. Uh, let me think. I mean, I remember it, when I hear George Michael, sometimes I think about um, like cleaning that's like my parents and I, we used to do, I don't know if it was every week. Cause I, once again, I don't even remember. Um, but you know, regularly cleaning the house all together and like have like the boom box blasting. And I feel like 
a lot of like George Michael, I remember hearing like faith, um, father figure, things like that. That's probably going to be the earliest. I remember listening to like Christian kid, kid, like cassette tapes in the car, but I can't say that I remember like one song in particular that I'm like that song. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah. Second question. This one's not mine. I stole it from another podcast from our community that has since gone bye-bye, and I missed them. So it's like an ode to podcast past. Uh, what did your childhood smell like? My immediate instinct is to say one of the smells that tends to hit me, not well, I would say not so much anymore, but post-COVID, right? I don't go out as much. Um, but like, like kindergarten lunch hall like for some strange reason that smell sometimes hits me out of nowhere where I'm like this smells like the lunchroom when I walked in when I was in kindergarten um so that's the easiest thing for me to say um I will say the other the other one I can think of is when I talk to people who have issues with like the smell of cigarettes like they say they won't date anyone who smokes because they don't like the smell of cigarettes for me, it's very homey because my mom always smoked. So like when I was little and I would like hug her, like I would smell her and her jacket and they would smell like cigarette smoke. And like, it was just very homey to me. That is not the kind of Pavlovian response most people have to cigarette smoke. That's very interesting. I know it's very different. And I don't smoke and I don't have any interest in smoking either. So it's not, it's not like something that has stuck with me to the point where I'm like, oh, you know, uh, I want to try it. I just, it's very it's sometimes if I smell it on, on fabric, right. Like not just someone smoking. Sometimes if I smell it on fabric, like I do kind of get taken back to like being three. I'm curious as to why Buffalo sauce is uh, in the name of your, your blog. <laughs> so when I was starting the blog, so I am, I, this might be part of the anxiety thing, but like my brain always says like, Oh, there's the perfect title for this. So, or the, there's the perfect, whatever for like this one situation. And my brain is like, we need to find that before we start anything else. And so when I, so I'm trying to think where to start this. My ex is my blog editor now. He, and he's been editing the book and he's one of my best friends. He he suggested I start the blog essentially as an online portfolio for my writing because I, I knew I wanted to go into something where I was more creative and writing is my one creative outlet that I'm actually good at. So he said, start to create the blog. So then when you apply for these jobs where you'll be doing writing, you can send them actual samples instead of just being like, trust me, trust me, I'm a good writer. So I was like, that makes sense. So then we started kind of like, prepping where I started writing a few posts just so that I would have have them in the reserve so that I didn't have to write every single week if I didn't want to. Um, and I was like, well, it needs a name. And so I tried to like boil it down to like quintessential Renata things. Um, and Buffalo sauce was one of them. And uh, and so I always I always joke that Buffalo sauce everywhere is the answer to the unspoken question, ma'am, where would you like the Buffalo sauce? But actually, I think my obsession with Buffalo sauce does kind of go back to France because I remember I think it was one of the things that I started craving over there and I couldn't get it anywhere. Like there was no Buffalo sauce or no wings. Like that wasn't a thing. So I just wanted Buffalo sauce so badly and I couldn't have it. And so then by the time I got back to the States, I think I was just like eating it on everything and it never went away. Uh, you could have made your own Buffalo sauce there in France. Mm, that sounds like work. It, it is, does sound like a lot of effort, but you know, if you're desperate, do you have a favorite brand of buffalo sauce now that you're back in the States where, I mean, there's not a lot of things we do well here, but buffalo sauce is one of them. I use Frank's and, and Frank's specifically the buffalo sauce, but actually, so when you said, you know, well, you could make your own in, in France, you know, desperate times, I actually would go to McDonald's in France to get um a, a fountain Coke because there were some times where I just craved a fountain soda and everywhere else just had bottles or cans. And I was like, I can't, I want, I just want a fountain soda. That's really weird. I can tell you the last time I set foot in a McDonald's and spent money was in France. Oh. I was 22. I don't like McDonald's. And that's where my friends wanted to go eat for some reason. And um, who was to say no? I had a, a salad that you could put little crevette in. Like they had, they had a salad and little shrimps. And then you put the dressing in it and you shake it up. And then that was like the thing they had. And then I also had Le Deluxe Potatoes. Mm. 
Um, I don't know. They still have those wedges, of course. Uh, and right. uh, and Cronenberg. So those are Cronenberg listeners is a French beer. Uh, those are three things that I can't that you can't get at McDonald's in the United States, and that's the last time I spent money at McDonald's was on those things. So I like their fries, and now that we're talking about this, I, in all honesty, maybe I'll need fries for dinner. I, I, <laughs> well, I so we have a shop near here that does so they they make their own ice cream, but they also hand cut and then double fry their own Belgian frites. Well, that's nice. They're they're addictive. They're so good. And I they give you a little plastic fork and dump mayonnaise on them too. Mayonnaise. That's how the Belgians eat them. Don't care. No. Okay. Mm. Well, you said oh. Belgian frites, so mayonnaise is your default. No, buffalo sauce everywhere. Ah, uh, that's right, everywhere, even on fries. <laughs> on ice cream, though, how is it on ice cream? That is that is so funny. You should ask that because one of my uh, one of my friends did say that to me. He was he was like, "Oh, you put it on ice cream." I'm like, "You know, I didn't mean ice cream or cereal." I just, anytime I'm out with my fiance and he gets fries with something, he's like, you know, could you bring me a cup of buffalo sauce? Cause he knows I'm going to start taking his fries and going to want buffalo sauce with them. I feel like that a buffalo sauce flavored ice cream might conceivably work. People have done weirder things. I, I used to work for a marshmallow shop and she, um, and she would make a, she made dill pickle marshmallows once. That is something that I don't think I would eat. Hey, Renata, so, repeat that thing you just said about curly fries. Oh, that they're the best type of fry, and if you don't agree, you're wrong? Right. I mm-hmm. would like you to defend that point of view. So for me, I, I know because I've talked to people about this, they're like, oh, well, is it the shape? I'm like, actually, I don't care about the shape. The shape doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to put hot sauce on it no matter what kind of fry it is. So like whatever shape, you know, if I need to double dip in that hot sauce, fine, whatever. I'm, I'm not that high maintenance. My thing is the seasoning. I like curly fry seasoning. So if you give me a straight fry that's got curly fry seasoning, to me, it's the same difference. I'm happy about it. I'm good with it. Um, my fiance and I got curly fries from Sheets this weekend, and I got one that was like, it was thin, but it was like this long. It was insane. And it was the best moment of my life. So. All right. You just completely undid the point you were making. Because you realize that the word curly is an adjective describing the shape of the potato, not the seasoning on the potato. Oh, you're not right, though. Curly fries have that seasoning. That is what curly fries are. Nonsense. I have had plenty of curly fries that were just potatoes that were spiralized. Lies. There is no way. Absolutely. And I don't even know what you're talking about when you say season. What is the seasoning you're talking about? Salt? I mean, we're Googling it. I I don't know what to tell you. We're Googling it right now. Uh, for the batter, combine flour, paprika, seasoned salt, cayenne, some salt and pepper. Hmm. Does well, that rallies work? rallies had fries that tasted like that seem like that, and those were straight. And that's fine. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying if the seasoning is there, I'm good with it. Right, but those are not curly fries. Those were just regular French fries that had batter. That had curly fry seasoning, because that is what classic curly fries have on them. I'm not wrong. I refuse. I refuse to be told I'm wrong on this. I feel like you're wrong about this. If you if you go to a restaurant and you see curly fries on the menu, and maybe not you, but a normal the human, general general you, the general population, the royal you, would say that the curly fries have that specific curly fry seasoning. They are that orange color and have that curly fry seasoning on them. Yeah, that's nonsense. I, you realize that what you've done is every time for the rest of my life I eat curly fries that are regular fries that have just been spiralized, you're getting a picture. Yeah, the, the one or two times that's going to happen the rest of your life. Yeah, okay. Well, well, I don't eat out all that bunch of places that have fries, but I'm going to have to start because I'm, <laughs> I'm on a mission now. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. I, I'm very invested in this. I'm very willing to see what happens. But no, for me, it's, it's the seasoning. Right. And- so you like battered fries. Just say I like battered fries. That's all you got to say. Let, let's, I mean, let's be accurate here. You like your fries specifically battered. If you want to say, how about curly fry seasoning? I like curly fry seasoning. Is it's that not, it's not curly fry seasoning? It's just yes, a it is. typical it's the seasoning that is typically on curly fries. This is ridiculous, and I. Uh... No, 
are you mad? Are you mad that we picked up the, the Zoom call back up again so that you so that we could argue? <laughs> no, I'm like I'm amused and exhausted at the same time. <laughs> Exasperated. Yeah, it's like everything they said about New Jersey was true. You people have problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and here here is exhibit one. We should go find something we can agree on before this devolves into name calling. Probably, although I'm looking this up. Do curly fries have a certain seasoning? As opposed to French fries, which are usually just sliced potatoes fried in oil and salted, curly fries tend to have a golden brown coating on them, as well as a seasoning blend that's heavy on the onion and garlic powders. Cite your sources, young lady. This is Yahoo.com. It's Yahoo News. Asperious. Asperious source. Here. Here. talking about Arby's, which makes sense. Arby's Arby's curly fries are also battered. That does not mean that all curly fries are battered. Most of them are. I'm telling you. I'm telling you this is a typical thing. I'm telling you. You know what? Ohio. It definitely sounds like an Ohio thing that you you just don't understand. I mean, we have Arby's. Yeah, I'm going to have to go find more curly fries. That is... uh... I'm I'm like putting together a plan of attack in my head right now. On I can't. The search for curly fries. Have you ever wondered why curly fries universally always taste the same? The answer may shock you. Oh, is it going to shock? Because they're from Gordon Food Services. Because they're from GFS. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading. Oh, sorry. Uh, actually, sort of. So curly fries as a frozen product were first mass produced by Simplot, who uses a specific seasoning blend. Once copycats came along, it became the seasoning of choice due to popularity. Well, I can't argue with that. What's your source? Oh, I can and probably will argue with that. Never mind. Apparently the source is Fox News. Oh, well, we know that's trustworthy. <laughs> All right. So what you just read, completely untrue, probably. Once again, go ahead. Go find curly fries that are not that are not seasoned. I want to hear about them. I, I've had them. I know they exist. But once, but yeah, but that's not a typical thing. I believe it is typical for places not named Arby's. You're incorrect. Totally disagree. Okay. We're going to have to agree to disagree on that until I send you some actual proof out in the wild. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Since you like battered fries that are differently seasoned, why bother with the buffalo sauce? They're already seasoned. I just like buffalo sauce. So to be fair, I, I can eat so I can eat regular fries plain. I can eat curly fries plain. It's it's definitely not a like I can't or won't. Um, but I, I typically would prefer buffalo sauce everywhere. Even on steak? No. No, I'm not a heathen. Okay. I was worried there for a second. No. Um, it's good to I'm, know that you have at least some cooth. Well, I'm trying to think of examples that are not potato-based. I'm certain there are some. Um, buffalo, uh, buffalo chicken pizza. Actually, my author bio picture for the book is me eating buffalo chicken pizza. I'm totally buying this book. Um, Thanks. I was just trying to think of things that get dipped, but most of them I'm thinking of are potato-based. Potatoes, right? I was like, no, if I'm at... bread, but I mean, I wouldn't put buffalo sauce in my baba ganoush, would you? So I've never had baba ganoush. Uh, is it? Remind me of baba ganoushes. Um, it's eggplant. It's hummus yeah. made out of eggplant. I'm not an eggplant person. Um, also, however, have you seen Wedding Crashers? A long time ago, but yes. Because that's what they call, uh, I think that's what they call Vince Vaughn on Wedding Crashers. Baba Ganoush! For some strange reason. I do not know why. I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. I think I saw that on a plane. Okay. Pretzels get dipped. The big soft kind, you know. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm from near Philly, so. Oh, you would know that then. Um, yeah. Um, no, I, I don't typically dip pretzels in buffalo sauce usually it's either you know yellow mustard or honey mustard depending on my mood all right so you you do have some the occasional mainstream 
mm-hmm. mainstream leanings. Occasionally. Let's see. You also, I'm, you know, just reading about you. I know that's really, really um, creepy. So this is the part when uh, you first sent me to your blog. Actually, I should explain. Um, I discovered you on Polywork. Yes. Yes. True. So you tell that story. I've, I've been talking too much the last 30 seconds. Tell the story of how I clicked on the opportunities tab and then found you looking for podcast guests and then reached out to you. I was hoping you'd take longer to tell it, but yeah. I was, that was all there was to it. What do you want me to? I'd be like, I agonized over the message I sent to you for four hours um, and then cried a little bit and then sent you my blog. Better? That's better. And Polywork is not uh, a site for the polyamorous necessarily. It is a site for people that do more than one kind of work. Mm-hmm. But, uh, On your blog, your self-bio thing says, quote, I consider my passions in life to be people and words. Mm -hmm. I kind of like those things, too. Though there are times when I'm not really sure I still like people. I mean, I I usually do. I mean, I'm just, so I mean, don't get me wrong, the general population eh. I'm just, I'm such an extrovert through and through. Um, in college, I lived with three other women and, um, and two of them are senior, which is very busy. So they were out of the apartment a lot. Um, so one of my roommates who I'm still very close with now, we, we see her a lot, her and my fiance get along really, really well. Um, but I would go, go up to her, I would like come home from class and I'd go up to her room and knock on the door and she'd be like, yeah, okay. And I would like open the door and she'd be laying on bed doing, doing homework. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to do homework out in like the common area. And she'd be like, okay. And I would just stand in her doorway and stare at her. And she'd be like, I can come out and do work there too. And I'm like, yeah, that's the answer. I'm like, I just don't want to be alone with my thoughts. I, that I understand. You, you go on to say that you love using your words to make people feel less alone and maybe even chuckle along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what I do with songs. Except for I would I would say that I also do them for some self uh, self therapy and catharsis and that stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I, if if I write a song about something completely miserable, which let's be honest, is most of my songs, I would hope that there are people out there that relate to that and and can realize, oh, I'm not the only person out here that's completely and totally messed up. Um, but also even though I do have my share of really serious songs, I've got a, a song out there released right now that is um, told from the point of view of a stalker who stalks an actress that he sees on television and ends up getting arrested at the end of the song. It's not meant to be, um, it's not meant to be an example of how one should behave. Fair. Yeah. I, um, I agree. It's meant to be slightly humorous at the end. Uh, we, we talked before I hit the record button that I've got a song uh, called Harvest Moon about, um, fall white people cliches and was not out yet. Uh, I've got one about going to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles in our fair state of Ohio and, you know, doing the thing you got to do, which is meant to be somewhat funny. So, you know, I also would like to make people chuckle along the way. Yeah, it's, I mean, when I talk to people, I, 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 I don't think that's in my author bio. I I need to look at all the different author bios that I have and figure out what I like about them and try to piece them together and and Frankenstein it and remove what I don't like. But one of the one of the uh, bios that I use, which might be one of the ones you're looking at, I can't remember, but I end with you know everything I've done where like I've been on a podcast or something. I you know we'll get done recording. It'll I'll have had a great time. They'll have had a great time. Whatever. And then I hear their intro lead in about like our conversation. I'm like, Renata is so funny. And I'm like, was I trying to be funny? Am I just, okay. I'm like, I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment, to be honest, when I'm not trying to be funny. And apparently I'm funny. That is in this one. People regularly tell you that you're funny, even when you're not trying to be. I think you're funny. Uh, Still not sure that's a compliment. It probably is. Uh, It starts with, it's not a really very long one. It's very good. Just four sentences. It's it's a good length for a quick bio. Just an open-minded Overly sensitive, which we've learned uh, because of our conversation about curly fries. Optimistically cynical millennial feminist. 
That almost seems oxymoronic, optimistically cynical. Definitely the point. Definitely what I'm hitting at. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I think someone called me a pragmatist when I asked, when I said, do you think, would you think I was an optimist or a pessimist? She was like, no, I, I forget if she had a pragmatist or realist where she was like, I don't think you necessarily are like fully gung ho. Like everything's amazing, but like, you're also not like, oh, everything sucks and is the worst. I definitely do automatically see the bright side of things. Um, but I also think that people suck. I, um, I actually put that, that, so a lot of that huge chunk of that I actually pulled off my OkCupid profile from back when it was, back when it was live. Okay. How'd that work out for you? Right. I, I am engaged. So pretty, pretty swell. That should be one of the success stories that they, they publish on their site. Yep. No, I feel that. I also, um, what was I going to say about, oh, I, uh, you know that. Phil Collins recorded the Tarzan soundtrack in several different languages. I did not. I did yeah. not know that there was a Tarzan soundtrack, so I did not know that Phil Collins did it. What? That's a cartoon, right? I don't watch cartoons. Things first. Everyone knows that Phil Collins did the Tarzan soundtrack. First of all, that's that's going to be a you thing, friend. Okay, that's a me thing. Mm -hmm. But he recorded it in like all the different languages he speaks. So like, if you listen to the Spanish Tarzan soundtrack or the French Tarzan soundtrack, it's Phil Collins singing. First of all, I didn't know that Phil Collins was multilingual. Uh, second, just because you're multilingual doesn't mean that you're good enough to make art in more than one language. I wonder uh, if he did his own translation. Uh, I would I would assume he did not. I would assume he didn't do the translation. I, it's just an assumption I would make, but I, I don't know. Um, but they're really enjoyable. Um, ABBA also released their gold album in several different languages, and I love listening to that one in Spanish as well. How do you say dancing queen in Spanish? Reina quien baila? La reina bailando? Bailante? I, I'm trying to remember what it actually was, but Chikatita is the best. Chikatita was probably meant to be in Spanish anyway. It's so good. Look at how much I'm learning from you on this conversation. <laughs> Phil Collins, in addition to being a, you know, a good drummer, <laughs> multilingual. I also love watching, so I watched all kinds of like Disney movies in French and Spanish while I was over there to kind of do a full immersion thing. Um, Tangled in Spanish is really spectacular. And, all, and once again, all of the songs are translated. Like it's, it's really great. So it sounds like that you're recommending that if one is trying to uh, learn a language, one should watch animated films in the target language. I would say whatever you're familiar with. So for me, I'm very familiar with Disney movies. So doing it there, it's easy. And I just have a very good memory. So it's very easy for me to remember the different like lines and how they were then translated and, and see like what it was like. There's a uh, there's a scene where Flynn Rider is escaping and he's like, OK, you know, now pull us up. And and the the people that he's working with are like, OK, you know, we lifted you up now. Help us up. And he says, sorry, my hands are full and I can literally see Flynn Rider in the Spanish version of going, pardon, manos llenas. And I'm like, oh, hand, full hands, got it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, so it's it's easy when it's what you know. If, if you don't watch a lot of animated movies, no, don't bother because then it's not going to help. That would be me. I don't understand that, but okay. But, you know, I already speak French and Spanish, so uh, I don't think those would be my target languages of choice anyway. I wonder how widely... Those are chance. Disney's got deep pockets and a deep reach. I'm pretty sure they probably anywhere they can get a few extra million eyeballs. I'm pretty sure they probably go ahead and, and bother with the translation. Well, absolutely, and especially Spanish because you know a lot of people in Latin America or like Mexico or whatever are watching them. So it's not. I mean, and that's the other thing. I was watching them in Spain, and it was not Spain Spanish, right? It was Latin American Spanish. Yeah, it's. I don't want to offend any Spaniards, but I'm sorry, Spaniards. I like Latin American Spanish better, but that's probably because that's the one I learned. Right. Um, sense. Also, there's a whole lot more Latinos than there are Spaniards. They're outnumbered, and it's not remotely close. So okay. it's okay. So uh, I'm going to ask you the horrible, horrible question that I hate when people ask me on artist interviews. Um, okay. Horrible by which I don't mean it's like offensive or anything. It's no. just not creative sure. and lazy. Sounds great. Love and, it, Art. 
And that question is, uh, Renata Leo, what's next for you? Okay, I, I actually do have some answers to that. So there is a there is a book that I've started working on. That it's, it's almost like a passion project that I have been noodling on for five years, maybe. Um, that I don't know if I'm going to finish it, but I also didn't think I would ever start it. And right now I'm almost 5,000 words into it. So I'm like, oh, okay, it might have legs. Now I think I might have to do this. Um, so that's on the radar. I don't want to go too much into that just because it's, and it would be my first real serious foray into fiction. Um, so actually I need, I'm going to need a fiction co-author. That's that's also on the on the radar. I am considering getting my yoga instructor certification because I can't sit still for 30 minutes. So I'm like, let's go get certified in something else. I know that you said creatively, but those, I mean, those are really my answers because I don't know, I believe growth is growth, right? It's, it's whatever you choose to do next. Indeed. I mean, if you had more to share, I'm not going to stop you from talking about it. Let me think. No, I feel like that's it. I, my my ex and I, who, like I said, best friends, we used to have a podcast together. We keep noodling on whether or not we're going to do another podcast. And I think we will eventually. We just got to actually carve out time and figure out a topic. But but we'll have you on if we if we do. That would be wonderful. I uh, I don't really know much about anything, but I know a lot about a little about a few things. If that makes sense. It does music and foreign language. Yeah, <laughs> music and romance languages. I'm. I can sound like not an idiot if we're talking about those things. There you go. So now is the time when I will say goodbye to you, at least as far as this recording is concerned. Uh, thank you, Renata, very much for uh, for agreeing to talk with me in semi-public. If people wanted to learn more about you, they could probably go to buffalosauceeverywhere.com. Is there anywhere else that we should send people? The blog, buffalosauceeverywhere.com, is going to be the main way. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is a very boring place to hang out. More, more than welcome to do it, have a have a party. Um, my Twitter is far more interesting. Um, I say a lot of random stuff that no one reads. Um, so you could be the first to read really weird stuff. Um, and so my handles on both Instagram and Twitter are at Renata O. Leo. Outstanding. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'd like to thank Renata again for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, also, special thanks to Polywork for being an excellent resource if you happen to be looking for podcast guests or if you're just looking for interesting people that do more than one thing. I encourage you, if you are uh, if you think LinkedIn is a little too static and too uptight, uh, give Polywork a chance. I think you'll like it. And I know it's unusual for there to be an episode in the middle of the week, but you know what? You're going to get another one in the middle of the week. Stay tuned.